Hello. Hey, up. How are you? Yeah, fantastic. Seen a lot of you this week. Yeah. Busy people now. Busy. Do you want to move in? Yeah. Come down. Got a little sofa bed over there. Ooh, okay. How are you? I'm great. I'm good. I'm really good, thanks. How are you? Yeah, not bad. Right, I'm going to let James in. Okay, here we go. Here we go. Here we go. <laughs> There it is. Hello, boys. How you doing? Good. I can't see you. Oh, really? Oh, here we go. Hang on. Hey. Yes. 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 How's it all going? Is that a Republic of Ireland cap? Are you an Ireland fan? No, 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 no. No, I worked in Dublin in the spring, and someone bought me a, a cap. Very nice. Thank you. Um, oh, look at you showing off your Marco Van Basten T-shirt. Oh, mate. <laughs> Isn't that wonderful? It is. <clears throat> yeah, sorry. I, I, I'd actually, I'd put on my, Chris, I'd, for, the, for the podcast, I'd put on my uh, Crystal Palace uh, tracky top from a few seasons ago. Oh, nice. But it's, it's, Everyone, this is, this is James Gill. John, this is James. Hi, James. John, uh, lovely to meet you. John is Exeter through and through. That's how I introduce you. There's more to you than that, John. But Yeah, a little bit more. Yeah. But James runs the widely accepted view that the best comedy club in London. I think we'll go with no. I just went to, so I've done a bit of research on John. <laughs> John, you summarize. You, you do you summarize Exeter Exeter City for the BBC? Yeah, amazing, brilliant. Yeah, I do. Uh, I do as many games as I can. It's that's what that's what I want my my career path to be. If you like, is to go something down the the broadcasting route. And John's only John's only twenty as well. Already, that's doing amazing. It. So, 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 Johnny. So, what would your dream career be like? I sound like I'm taking the piss here. Like Mark Pugach, something like that. Um, yeah, or like you know, like John Motson, those kind of characters. Like, oh, an actual commentator. Yeah, yeah, something, brilliant. Something down that route. But then I've also got you know other avenues open. I've obviously I've been involved at City like at trust love trustee level. So. I've done that kind of stuff, but I'm not sure that's, I think my real passion is sort of like broadcasting and, and doing what we're doing now, that, that kind of thing. I just want to tell the audience, James, you are a comedian. Yes. You run a comedy club in London called Always Be Comedy. Oh, we started. Yeah, big time. Mate, love it. Great. And all the, all the comedians say it's the best club in uh, London, do they not? Uh, I think you're well, a... some don't, some are. Europe, <laughs> Europe, and you do loads of warm up for TV shows. Yeah, which, which shows? Oh my God! Hang on a minute. What do I do there? Oh, well, you got a, someone at the door. It's a part. I'm so sorry. It's a parcel. Hang on. <laughs> anyway, so Forest Green Rovers Hill. Yeah, <laughs> so it's it steep. <laughs> so it takes three minutes. I reckon. I, it, it depends. I mean, if you've got a five rider, it might be a little bit longer. Five, five minutes. Sorry, lads. Oh, he's back. That, that was just me trying to uh, appear as relatable as possible. Yeah. Um, so I do I, I do a lot of the, the Dave shows, a lot of comedy shows, really. So um, things that are at the moment, Question Team with Richard Iowardi, that's on Dave at the moment, so I warmed up on that. Uh, Unforgivable with Mel Gedroich, that's on right yeah. now. Harry up Hill, do you do Harry Hill? 
Done a lot for Harry Hill down the years. If I warm up for someone, the line that I, if, if they're really nice, I will always say, I, I say, I, I'll say to them, I would put you in the Harry Hill bracket. And that's like the highest compliment I can. Uh, so Mel, Mel Gedroich, I would say, is, is as nice. And then Iowardi uh, was warming up question team. Uh, there was a there was a, a pause in the record, and PG Woodhouse came up. So I, I think PG Woodhouse is the is the greatest writer of comedy ever. And then Richard Ayoade and myself started talking about PG Woodhouse. He really he really got hold of of this. Did Ayoade? He like really lit up that I liked Woodhouse. So he came over and he was like, "So which Woodhouse do you like?" And then we started exchanging uh, our Woodhouse love. And he goes, "Have you ever read?" Blanding's Castle, and I went, I've never read it. And he goes, "Oh, you've got to read that." And I think, hang on, this, if this, yes, came into work the next day for the next day's record on my table uh, parcel. There says from Richard, and he he got me the hardback. Basically, comedians are lovely. Do you want to know a fun fact? My friend from school, her uncle is Harry Hill. Oh, hello. Whoa. Yeah. Didn't expect that, did you? No. no. <laughs> Great. John, what a twist at the end. Superb. So, so James. Yes. I, I sort of remember you telling me, but forgot, you were involved in football journalism, were you? Yeah. So I was, I was a journalist for about 20 years and about 10 of those were spent as a sports writer. Oh my god! Um, but the 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 if I was going to pick out one job out of all the jobs, so I was at the London paper for about that was a London free sheet. I was there for about, and that was that was massive. That was that was big at the time. That was like mid to late noughties. That was probably the best job I ever had because what that would entail, we'd get the it, the paper would hit the streets in the afternoon, and we would work from about seven in the morning till twelve noon. And then once the paper had gone to print, I would literally, I'd spend the afternoon, I'd have a golf lesson off Justin Rose in the afternoon, or I might be interviewing Usain Bolt at the O2, or I'd be, what? honestly, it was, it was it was ridiculous. And then in the evening, I'd be covering Chelsea in the Champions League. And then I'd get, you know, I, I was in my 20s, you know, there was never very much sleep because it was, it was, and I was single. So again, you could probably get away with it more. So that was probably like the most glamorous job and the most fun job. But the the one that I'll always come back to, I was the one of my first ever jobs um, from 2002 to 2005. I was the Crystal Palace correspondent for the Croydon Advertiser series of newspapers. And what that meant was that I was home and away with Palace for three years. Wow. Barely missed a match. Not only that, I'd go watch the reserves when they played at Selhurst. Whoa. I was at the training ground a couple of times a week. I went on a pre-season tour with the team in Germany. I was, you know, again, I was single, but I was living and breathing Crystal Palace to the extent where, I mean, I was skin. I was living with a couple of mates in Streatham and then Tooting, but I would literally wake up on a morning and as I opened my eyes, the first thing I would think of would be, how is Darren Powell's thigh strain? It just, just totally, it was like Stockholm syndrome. It had taken over my life. And then, and then there was one match. I think it was 2002, maybe 2003. 
Palace were at home to Ipswich. Were they, where were they in the Championship? This yeah, absolutely. Right, yeah. And then Ian Dowie got them promoted 03-04. Like, oh. Proper against the odds. They were third from bottom at Christmas. I mean, the most ridiculous... See, John? See? It can it was, happen. Yeah, it, it, can. it was the most... I remember Lenny Lawrence uh, said to Ian uh, that he felt that was the greatest football achievement since Fergie doing the treble in 99, given where they were, the players that he had at his disposal to get them into the Premier League. It, honestly, it was it was so magical. And I still think of that 03-04 season probably like every day of my life. I, something will, will come back. I will remember... Danny Butterfield's performance away at Sheffield United. I, I remember. John's lit up. Go on. I remember. He used the, to play for us, Danny Butterfield. Did he? Mate, you've yeah. got a look. John Beer, and he, you know, I say this as a compliment. You have a look of a young Danny Butterfield. Oh. And you don't. You're not going to hear that every day. I've seen that infamous hat trick he uh, he scored. He shouldn't even. One of the goals for that hat trick, the corner, the ball actually comes off him for the corner. Yeah, sounds about right. Yeah. So when did he play for Exeter then? Um, after Palace. Right, the sort of near the Wait, end of what his was career. He a striker, I don't know. No, defender. Sort of he played. Guy. He was. A, he was a right was, back. Yeah, he's a full back. But then for us, he played at centre back for a little bit. He was great, and also in terms of as a sports, as the as the as the Palace man, he was. He's one of the most naturally funny people I've ever met in my life, and he was at the absolute epicenter of that Crystal Palace squad. They all loved him. He was one of those guys. He'd walk into the canteen, and everyone would sit up a little bit he was oh god i i and you were in the center of it all yeah i mean that was that the great thing about that gig is that i think what was important right i would say this when you're the club guy for the local paper i think it goes one of two ways and i met these guys you either you know i know you should never use the word hate but i know some guys would gr grow to hate their club because maybe the manager didn't like them or the players wouldn't speak to them and, and so they, this animosity would build or you go, you do what I do, and you just fall head over heels with not just the club, but the staff are lovely, the players are lovely. Even now, I've still got close ties to the club. One of the sons of one of the co-owners is a regular at Always Be Comedy, and has been for a few years. So, so the fam, the Browitz family will often come to Always Be Comedy, and then they'll invite me to sit in the director's box at Palace matches. Oh, so this I didn't is, know that. I didn't know this about you. So this love affair with Palace has gone on for best part of 20 years. You are right, though, James. If you're involved and you see that other side of football that people don't see, I, you know, you, you, like naturally going to see things that you don't like or things that you think, oh, that doesn't sit right. So it's it's hard because when it's your team, you don't you try and put that all to one side. But sometimes, yeah, what I have you seen, John? What have you seen, John? <laughs> I have. I personally haven't seen anything that's ever made me go, "Oh, that's horrific." But I can imagine. Yeah. You know, I've, I don't. I'm not around it enough. But I can imagine if you are, yeah. you, you you would definitely sort of see. Yeah. Well, I, I only. I've only ever really seen lovely things and only heard lovely things. And so yeah, it was it was Ipswich at home. The ball breaks, and Dougie Friedman, someone someone who I'm still friends with now, Friedman goes through on goal, and me sat in the press box where he's supposed to be impartial, and I shouted out loud, "Go on, Dougie!" And then like other. Other journalists are turning round as if to say, "What the?" F um, and then once that happened, then I was I was all in. So you're writing a uh, a review of the match, a review of the match report. Well, so the thing the thing was so the the thing with the Croydon advertiser, and certainly back then, 
they were really reliant on Palace, and you know that was that was a reason mm. why people were buying the buying the newspaper. And and then when I got the gig, because I was young, I was super hungry and, and up for it, and the, the passion was there. And so I, it was on me to fill a lot of broadsheet pages. And so it, the match report was one of the things, but there always had to be a big new story on the front page, you know. So I, I, you know, you're the guy that's breaking stories about say somebody signing that new contract or somebody coming in for that player or them being linked with that player. And I was very lucky that, so I was there, there was Trevor Francis, then it was Steve Kember, but then it whoa, was whoa, Ian. Whoa, 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 hang on. Trevor Francis was the manager. When I first got the gig, Francis was the manager. Steve Kember, I think I should. Then it was Steve Kember, who was like a proper like club hang manager. On, whoa, 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 Steve Kember. Yeah. He gave me a trophy when I was Stop 10. It. Are you serious? Steve Kemba. I've got a picture of me shaking Steve Kemba's hand. Amazing. Yeah. I shook um, I shook John Barnes's hand once at a presentation. He gave me a trophy. Not to not to brag. I mean, you've really outdone him there from Steve Kemba to <laughs> Yeah. But, but in my opinion, yeah. the, you know, the, yeah. maybe the greatest player that's ever kicked a ball, you've gone straight for John Barnes. Um yeah. fine. Yeah, can't, can't so Sorry, you, sorry, you were saying, so you had Trevor Francis. What was he like? I, I got, he was, the, right, the thing is, Francis was always, was always fine Trevor to Francis me. Francis always reminds me of Jasper Carrot. Totally fair. Yes. Thanks. Well, that's Thanks. the Birmingham, that's the Birmingham City thing, isn't it? There's the old Jasper Carrot. it's kind Carrot. of a... Yeah, they've both got similar features, yes. They look like they're about to fall asleep. Yeah, absolutely. Also, that's uh, uh, not why I'm on the podcast, but why is Jasper Carrot not talked about in the same way that the likes of Billy Connolly, Eric Mork and Victoria Wood. Jasper Carrot, for me, is the most overlooked icon of British comedy ever. I think I've met Jasper Carrot. Uh, uh, sorry, whose bloody granddad is Jasper Carrot, John? No, I think he was at an Exeter City game. Isn't he? Who does he support? Birmingham City. But is oh, but who was he? What? I, I've almost certainly met Jasper Carrot, 100%. What is happening to you today? John? I don't know. <laughs> so just to explain to David, John and I met up yesterday. <laughs> Basically, he just said, he said, James, tee me up with the following names. And I was like, mate, sure yeah, thing. I came up with Jasper Garrett. He was, he was in the, he was in the boardroom once for an Exeter City game. And someone turned to me and went, oh, that's Jasper Carrot. And I went, who? I don't know who Jasper Carrot is. Amazing. But then I went over shook his hand, spoke to him. I said, oh, nice to meet you. Da, 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 da. And that was it. But I, I, as soon as you said Jasper, I just remember thinking Carrot was a funny name. I'd love well, to meet Jasper Carrot. I mean, I, I, so I watched a video of Jasper Carrot last night. He's now 75, 76. I immediately went, bloody hell, you've aged. Yeah. And then I went back to the detectives last night. He was my age when he did the detectives. Was he really? Yeah. I don't know why I'm telling you any of this. No, but that always... That always that's always a real kick to the groin when you, when you've watched something when you were a kid and you assume someone is a hundred years old, you know, through your through your child's eyes, and then when you're old, you discover that they were younger than you when they did X Y Z, and you're like, oh god. So Trevor France, Trevor Francis was the first million pound footballer, was it? Yes, he was. That is correct. Yes. Yeah, yeah, he was. I remember having a little VHS on Trevor Francis, and I watched it over and over again. I don't know why. That's all I sort of had. Where did, where did he play? What position did he play when he played? Centre forward, and then basically played for every football club ever. 
Yeah. He was one of those guys. Was he guys. centre forward? Because he, he was quite a slim build, wasn't he? I think he was. Because in, in my mind's eye, I, I can see him score, you know, heading that goal that wins Forrest the European Cup. What did I mean by he's quite a slim build? What he was a slim build. He was. But everyone's slim playing football. Not necessarily. And certainly not back then. You know, some of those guys were, you know, there were some real units at the back, weren't they? Well, I don't know if it's the same era, but, you know, like Razor Ruddock, he weren't a small unit, was he? No. Not a small unit. So Trevor Francis... I heard a story about Neil Ruddock. You might have to edit this out. But I heard that when he was at Crystal Palace, he was in such bad shape. I I think I've heard Steve Coppel tell this story, so maybe you're right, including this. Yeah. Maybe worth a Google. We don't want to get sued or anything. But he was in such bad shape that they had to say that he was injured and couldn't play. But the actual fact is they couldn't find a pair of shorts that would fit him. How bad, how bad is that? Bollocks. No, I don't think it is. <laughs> You've got to find shorts somewhere. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> Worth slapping a Google on that. <laughs> Us three in the dock. <laughs> yeah. God. Oh. Ruddock taking us all to the cleaners. That Brian yeah. and Charles money. See you later. About <laughs> a little. Oh. Um, so Trevor yeah. Francis. So Francis was only there for a few months. Francis had been there a while. Then I get the gig, and then Francis leaves shortly afterwards. And then Steve Kember gets the gig. He's he's like he's one of you. He's your classic Mister Crystal Palace. You know he's he's done he's done like every job in the club. He's been caretaker umpteen times shook my hands yeah shook he said to me he said son the pinnacle of my career yeah shaking dave <laughs> what you look out for that boy um and then ian dowie gets the gig after palace get thumped five nil away at wigan and palace are in trouble and then what month of the year is that what part of the season december oh, actually you know what kit simons is caretaker for for a bit he does a really good job after steve kember so he sort of steadies the ship a bit. I remember be, I remember watching them win away at Stoke. Uh that was a that was a night match. Oh it mate, it, it just all it floods back so quickly. And then Dowie gets the gig and they lose to Millwall on Boxing Day 2003, but they play really well. And there's a real feeling of oh. like oh hang on a minute, this Ian Dowie might have something. And then I remember this is this is not this is a this is, this is a lovely moment because it was very embarrassing, but we got we got on really well, like almost father and son type what, you bond. You and Ian Dowie, mate, absolutely. But anyway, our first ever interaction. Ian Dowie wanted his press conferences to be at eight o'clock on a Tuesday morning, which would mean having to get up at like you know God knows o'clock to get this seven o whatever to. Beckenham and then have to walk from Beckenham. So I said to Ian, um, oh, oh sorry. <laughs> oh, a bit awkward this. Sorry, just so you know, um, press conferences are at one o'clock on a Tuesday. And Ian just like looks me dead in the eyes and goes, Yeah, well now I'm here, they're eight o'clock in the morning. And I and I had to go, Oh yeah, 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 of course, yeah, of course wow. they are. But th- but wow. thankfully I know that's getting off on the wrong foot, but we soon got we we were we were off and away, and we had a we had a really what lovely. What did Ian Dowie bring to the side, James? Well, Ian, what Ian Dowie has, he's he, he's he's one of the most charismatic. I would say, I would say the most charismatic person I've ever met might be Barry Hearn, right? Where where I know it sounds like I'm being ironic, but genuinely, Phil Taylor once said. He said, I, I felt like I was in a dark room. And then when Barry Hearn walked in, 
it felt like the light had been turned on. And certain people in your life, when they walk into a room, you sort of like turn around as if to say, who the hell? Ian Dowie honestly had that in a, in abundance. And he used to do the column for the Croydon Advertise. He had his own, we called it Dowie's Diary. And so it had to appear every week. That was part of the palace coverage. And we did it on the phone. And because we clicked so well, he always told me stuff that was off the record. To this day, I still use the expression off the record. And it's all from Ian Dowie. And what it, and I say this to mates, I'll tell, I might tell you a bit of gossip and I'll go off the record as if you're like gonna, as if you're wearing a wire to the sun, as if anyone gives a shit that my wife's mate has got a promotion or what, you know what I mean? Off yeah. the record, but I'd be, <laughs> I'd, be, I'd be sat on the phone, yeah. wiping up Dowie's diary. And then what would it, through the whole chat and go off the record, off the record, off the record. And then I'd get home to write up the diary and I'd be sat there and I'd be like, none of this is usable because literally everything that he's told me was off the... So it's like great gossip. Yeah. Amazing, yeah. amazing yeah. Crystal Palace gossip. But yeah. it was it was unprincipled. So I'd, I'd, I'd often have to sort of like fudge it a bit. But then, you know what? It was so fastidious that I would have to fax it to uh, his office. And then he would always... He, every single time would proofread his column and would, would change everything all the way through. So Ian Dowie was... Uh, he worked at British Aerospace before he was a footballer. So he's a very clever guy. He got his degree in, you know, mechanical engineering or something like that. Got had this really good job at British Aerospace testing rockets, uh, and then became a footballer. And so it was a very intelligent, cerebral. Um, I can relate to this. He has so much. He, he speaks so quickly because he's got so much to say that the brain can't always keep up. And so he would. It would often come out as real waffle. And and as a waffler, and, I, and I'm and I'm the same as Ian. You know, there, there'd often be a slip of the tongue, and he might be correcting something that he said 20 seconds ago. And one of my favourite uh, characteristics of Ian is that someone would ask him a question at a press conference, and he would answer it. He would then move on to other questions, and you could see him still go back to the question that he'd answered first time. So, for example, someone would ask, "Should Andy Johnson play for England?" And Ian would, Ian would go, huh, should Andy Johnson play for England? Should he play for England? Has he got pace? Yes, he has. Can he use both feet? Yes, he can. Is he good in the box? Yes, he is. Does he trap back? Yes, he does. Does he, could he play for England? Anyway, next question. Um, big game coming up against Ipswich? Well, yeah, obviously, like, Ipswich, quality side, they'll catch you on the counter. I mean, you know, the, the guy will, he will run back when there's a corner and he's clearing from his, his own corner. Um, yeah, they're doing a great job there at Ipswich. Obviously, their form, you know, it's there for all to see. And I'll tell you what, in the training ground, no one tries harder than Andy Johnson. And the thing with Ipswich, he's got them in a 4-4-2, but sometimes second half they'll switch to a 4-3-3. And I'll tell you what, when I'm giving a team talk, no one is listening more than Andy Johnson. You know, so it was, it was like, you know, Harry Hill with the spinning plates. It, Ian Dowie was... Ian Dowie was like that, returning to... If he wasn't satisfied that he'd fully nailed an answer, he would always return back uh, to answer previous questions. And he was there was just something so... He had his heart on his sleeve. You fucking love... I lo Honestly, I, I when this goes out, I'm going to send Dowie the link, and I'm going to go, this is the first time you I've been able an to... an Ian Dowie pod. I've been able to encapsulate what you mean to me, Ian. And I was always really... <laughs> I was always really grateful to Ian because I think Ian always, always got he he got the role of the local journalist and what you've you know, just you... done twelve minutes on Ian. <laughs> Mate, I've got another hour. <laughs> and where is he now? Where's Dowie now? 
He still does stuff for Sky. He's not and then And then I think he... I think he's got a job. Oh, the last I heard, he had a job like... Sell, um, I'm sure he was like selling mortgages or something. After... I think so. He still he still does the 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 media work, and then I, I think he also has what you would call a, a, a proper job as well. But I'd oh. have to check. I'd have to check what that is. God, yeah, I haven't seen him for ages. He was always managing. Uh, who do you have? West Ham, Queens Park Rangers, Crystal Palace, Southampton. Helped out Shearer at Newcastle when Shearer got the gig. Did he? Yeah. Did he? Yeah, great, James, great guy. I'll ask quickly when yeah. you're in the, when you're doing a match report. Yeah, you're watching a game. Yeah, what am I thinking? Firstly, I, I would be nervous that it was my responsibility to capture the game. In yeah. Secondly, how are you collecting the the information? Like, are you are you literally just writing the headlines down of what's happening within the game, and then you fluff it up, or are you actually starting to Put it together as the game's going on. I'm really now. I was lucky that I was that that particular gig was a weekly newspaper, and so we didn't go to print until the Thursday, I think, to come out on the Friday. Oh, right. And really? so if they were, That's yeah. Nice. So so if they were playing on the Saturday, I could sort. I could pretty much. I'd always I'd, I'd always write a lot of things down, but I could pretty much absorb the match and then write a match based on that. However, I've worked at websites. And when the wet, when that final whistle goes, you need to be pre- pressing send on that match report. Now that I was going to a- say, so you, the match report came out the following Friday in the Croydon. Yeah, but be- but because it was a weekly, that's okay. that's not your headline. You're, you're, okay, it's there's more pressure on you to get a big news story on the front page of the sports section, right? Uh, rather than uh, pressure on that match report. You always need you always needed to have a really good exclusive. So there was more pressure on that. And again, because Dowie was a great guy, he pretty much gave me a great exclusive every single week. He was... Yeah. He was a John, player. would you be interested in this side of the game? <clears throat> no, I don't think writing is uh, is for me, but just talk, just what James mentioned there about the match report having to go live at the click of a button like as soon as the game is done. I, when I'm doing my comms sometimes, I'm in the same area as the media teams and I see them writing as the game is going, the match report. Yeah. And they've really? got they've got their sort of template. They've got you know yeah. what the attendance is, all of this at the bottom, the subs, who's come on, starting lines, whatever. And then the match report comes down. They're just writing it as they go, and then they're ready to click send as it goes out. That's why a lot of the time on match reports, if you really sit and read it, which I don't because I've been at the game, but you'll find little mistakes because they're not they don't have time to sort of go through it rigorously and look at the mistakes. Are we talking Devon live? Devon Live, I think <clears throat> the club that they, they do their own one, and I think that's a little bit delayed, but I think it's still, you know, half an hour after kickoff, it'll be up, you know, after full time, sorry, it'll be up. So I'd love to sit in there, just watch them. I'd like to sit in there. I think that's so, there. can you imagine that? That's so stressful. Like, I can, yeah, you know, what, you're like, enjoying the moment. The, the, dream, the dream is like a really comfortable, say, 2 0 win, and there isn't a goal after the 60th minute, right? They're, they're, they're the, from the journalist's point of view, the one who's got to press click on that whistle, that's the match that you dream of. The Probably the most famous exa- or infamous example is the Manchester United 1999 Champions League final. Oh, my God. Because that is where journalists had their copy written. So near and yet so far for Alex Ferguson's, met, you know, fa- failure. at the And then, obviously, we all know what happened there. So then you're... 
it's a total, it's a total top to bottom rewrite. Mm. Because you're framing that. So, as okay, so they've got to do that rewrite. How long have they got to do that rewrite? How long do you think? I mean, that, that, because those guys. I mean, those guys. I mean, they'd probably have to delay the printing press. Yeah. You know, and then you're talking money. You know, so those guys know that they've got to get that. You know, that some of them would have had a copywriter because that's 1999. So I, I think in some instances, I reckon some of the more old school guys would be sending that copy down a phone to a copywriter in the office. I mean, I was working at a web, I worked at a website called sports.com. I was there from 1999 straight out of uni to 2002. And they were still using copywriters for some games, even, even then. Yeah. You know, where a guy had been to Leeds versus Liverpool, whatever on a Tuesday night and he's on the phone sending the copy down. It's, inter it's interesting you say that because I find the industry so like for how, advanced it is the actual technology and the way they still do things is so far behind like even for the bbc radio dev and now you still have to get a big isdn kit whack it on the table dial in make sure it's, it's just like you'd think there's more efficient ways of doing it but they're so you know like this works they're setting their ways so it's extraordinary isn't it would you get back into it james or is it too uh... i don't think so I, so you know, you know, you think you might have retroactively or retrospectively made something up just for convenience. But I was at the, so I don't know if this is total bollocks that I've made up after the event, but I was at Chelsea versus Barcelona, one of the most iconic Champions League matches ever, when Iniesta pings in that last second winner to send Barcelona to the Champions League final. It was, it was, you know, phenomenal. But I, I think that I, when I was even watching that match, I was thinking, yeah, but it's not it's not stand up comedy. This is it, you know. So oh, I, I think really? my I think really? my calling, like my core, wow. has always been comedy. So I, I was just, but I think because it was quite a cool gig, I think that's what kept me in it for as many years as it did. So I was I was juggling journalism with comedy for a lot of years, whereas mm. a lot of comedians who have jobs that they loathe. So like you know, we, we all know comedians that worked in like call centres, and so quitting that job to go full time with comedy was a decision that sort of made itself because they really didn't enjoy the, 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 the grind. Whereas when you're covering, you know, football and golf and athletics or whatever it might be, it's, it's tricky to totally walk away from it, isn't it? Mm. One last question before we get into the famous 11 questions and they are famous. Um, who's the most famous footballer you've spoken to in the flesh? Great question. Great little question. Thank you. Maybe, maybe I've I've met uh, Rude Hullet a couple of times. <gasps> and the I work I worked on a show called Back of the Net. Big hair or no little hair? Big hair or little hair? I think somewhere in between. If, you, if you've spoken to him with his big hair, then I don't, don't think it was big hair. So I, I interviewed him when I was at the London paper, and he was. I tell you what, he's such an intelligent man, and his answers were so original, and thought out. How big? How tall? How muscly? Big, big unit. Really handsome. Looks incredible. A got you know, beautiful human being. But the first time I interviewed him, I was at the London paper. Again, this was this ridiculously glamorous job. So you know, got the paper, and then I've gone to sit in a hotel room with Rude Hullet, and you know, what? are you nervous? What? Thing is, you're so excited as well, though, aren't you? Because it's Rude Hullet, so it's you know. There's that as well. But, you know, this 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 answer, I think about this all the time. And what he talked about, I asked him the question about why do... I think England were having yet more underachievement. And I, and I just asked why that was. 
and he very passionately said, he says, if you look at the, all the other countries, he says, look at Maldini in Italy. He says he knows that his career is finite. And obviously Maldini played into his 40s. And I mean, the, the man is, a, you know, Paolo Maldini is, is, a, is a god to me. You know, this is, that is how to live a football career. And so what Hullet was saying was Maldini took total care of himself. He, you know, he, he wasn't getting drunk. He was eating the right food. He was training the right way. He treated his body like a temple, mentally and physically prepared perfectly. And, you know, that career of his, what he achieved with Milan, perfection. And his point, too many of the English lads would play on a Tuesday night and they're going out, they're hitting the clubs, they're getting hammered and they're not taking care of themselves. And so, he, you know, he argued, why do the English lads have this what you would call, I guess, this party lager mindset when the other nationalities, the Spanish players, the German players, these Italian greats don't do the same. And it's sort of, I, I, that interview was probably 15 years ago. And he's absolutely, he, even now he's absolutely correct. Mm. And I don't think we remember Rude Hullet enough. He was so good, wasn't he? Well, the thing with Hullet, and you know, I've got this Van Basten T-shirt on. He was part of, you know, he was one of the three tulips with Rijkaard and, and Van oh, Basten. He was part. He scored that, you know, he scores the the, the Hullet bullet. They win the European Championships. He wins multiple European Cups with with Milan. He's great hair, World Player of the Year, great hair. And then the second time I met him was I worked on a show called Back of the Net, one of the sweetest gigs of my life. Gabby Logan, John Bishop, Peter Crouch were the three hosts. They'd have a foot. The guests were amazing, like people like Wayne Rooney, uh, Patrice Evra, Michael Owen. Every week was an absolute bang. You met Jamie, all these people, not always. Jamie okay. Vardy, uh, oh. but like proper, you know, top top draw guests. And then Hullet was on one week, and sometimes they would stay for it. It was one of those shows. Everyone got on so well that John, Gabby, Peter would always go for a drink in the green green room afterwards. So we'd always have a natter. And then often the, the 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 guest would stay for a drink, and Hullet stuck around. And as a you know, like like you guys, as a lifelong football anorak, I, I did. I went over and I said, uh, "I've just got to say that 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 Milan team, you know, it's probably the best team." Oh, that I've, I can't believe you've said that to him. That's probably the best. It's probably the best team that I, that you know we, we will ever see. And Hullet, check. He goes uh, sort of like looks into the Middle Eastern, puffs his cheeks out, and goes, uh, "Yeah, we were pretty good." Oh, beautiful! Oh, you've, you've had you've got some well good stories. I could sit here and listen all day. Oh, well, I mean, I, I mean, you've I was got to come back on, James. Yeah, honestly, and run the entire podcast. Yeah, I was chatting. I was chatting with someone the other day, and we were talking about Carlo Ancelotti. And I, 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 I insist no one in the history of football has had a career that comes close to Carlo Ancelotti's in terms of what he achieved as a player, and then now as a manager to win the league in the in the top in the big five leagues in Europe, I just think that guy, uh, again, we probably don't talk about Ancelotti enough. The man, the man is, for me, is the, 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 the all time number one. I always worry about his heart when I see him. Cause he, he always feels like he's a couple of stone overweight. <laughs> Maybe carrying a bit. Yeah. And he's 60 odd now. Last time I saw him, I thought, I worry about you. And he celebrates a goal. Yeah. I haven't read it, but apparently his book is incredible. Like one of the best football books out there. You know what? I've done that classic thing of I've bought it and it sat on the Kindle. And I've not, I've not read it. My my, uh, my brother was telling me about it. He says it's some book, really, really, really good. Amazing. 
Hello everyone, thanks for listening. If you're enjoying this podcast, then you might want to get on my Patreon. You get early access to ad-free episodes, and there'll be videos and behind-the-scenes pics, and it's basically a place where we can all hang out together. It's a bloody friendly community, if you ask me. So, uh, yeah, if you fancy it, just go to patreon.com forward slash David L. And also, Patreon is an app that you can download onto your phone. All for the price of a coffee. Like a posh coffee. Once a month, you pay a few quid, and then you get to be an MNFC supporter. My new football club supporter, that's what that stands for. That's your thing. So, sign up at patreon.com forward slash David L. And the link is in the description of this episode. Thanks again for listening. Right, back. Back to the pod. What was the first game you went to? Well, so it, it was a Leeds United match. Age, age. Right, so this is the thing. Now, I'm going to... Now, I don't think my family listens to this, but it's, it's impossible for me not to overshare here. So, like like every single... Like pretty much every single comedian, I am a child of divorce, right? Because, you know, we're all doing we're all doing comedy because what it all boils down to is, look, Dad, I climbed a tree! You know, because you, you missed out on... <laughs> you didn't get that when you were a kid. Dad didn't watch you climb a tree because he wasn't there. So yeah. you're doing the equivalent of... Look, Steady, look, that's Dad. another pod. That's another pod. Look, though. Dad! Anyway, my biological father was driving me back. This is a bleak sentence. Was driving me back to my mum's because he'd had me, he'd had me and my sister for the weekend, right? Fucking hell! Why am I laughing? We're crying away. No, but so I thought this. I thought this was the late eighties, but I've Google, I've googled it, and it would appear that it was the sixteenth of April, nineteen ninety. So I would have been eleven. I, I, I thought I was younger than this, but maybe not. Leeds United versus Sheffield United, four nil. In what was then League Division Two, Gordon Strachan scored two, including one from the spot. Lee Chapman scored, uh, and the great Gary Speed scored the other goal. Wow! And we got in for free because he he we were drive he was driving back on the way back to where my mom lived, and we heard you know you hear a roar and all that, and then he thought let's pull over, and because the game was well underway, and I think we probably missed a couple of goals. We got in for free, and I and I remember even now in my mind's eye, because I think that first match stays with you. I can still feel that atmosphere, and it's like nothing you, nothing prepares you for the atmosphere of a football match because there's something, mm. there's something wonderfully overwhelming and intimidating about it. And so I'm, I've got I've got a very lovely relationship with my two nephews, and I took them to Palace versus Liverpool, and they're they're a couple of lively boys, and we went to Palace Liverpool, and the two of them. Again, in, the, in a lovely way, shat their pants for the afternoon because that noise is yeah. like nothing you've experienced before. And so they experienced what I'd experienced, and we, and they were very quiet for the whole match because that's the first game I ever went to. Palace Liverpool. Was it really? Yeah, was I was it a good about one. Eleven. Gary Ablett. Eight. John Beglin. Yeah, Jim Beglin. Jim Beglin. Um, John Barnes. I remember Steve McMahon. I remember him just. Uh, so practicing his shooting before the game, just McMahon's oh. an underrated player, isn't he? Oh, he was amazing. Yeah, great player. So, so it was Leeds v what Sheffield United, you say? Leeds versus Sheffield United, and then 
also I remember this my biological father trying to blend in with the Leeds fans and talked to them in the most over-the-top fake Yorkshire accent like remember how the uh, you'd have a guest farmer on all creatures great and small because yeah. you know because James Harriet would have to put down the dog or whatever and they talk and, the, and the, whoever was playing the farmer for that particular week would always say oh no not our best Mr Harriet please not our best she's been a good dog and James Harriet would go now Ted she won't feel a thing and I remember him talking to like the local oh sure how they've been playing and I was thinking <laughs> what that's not your voice uh, have they been second half? Yeah. Uh, so I remember that, and then uh, I was on. I did. I did a thing on Talksport a couple of years ago. Now I, I'm not. I am not a tall guy, so I always have a soft spot for people who aren't tall and have a big heart. And so Gordon Strachan, such a hero to me, and I, I, I love Strachan a great deal. So I'm sat in like this, I guess a, like a waiting room at, at Talksport. And who sat? The only other person in the room is Gordon Strachan, and I have that thing of I've got to tell Gordon. And I was wearing a Yorkshire uh, hoodie, so he knew that I was, you know, from that neck of the woods. And I just said, "Look, Gordon, I'm I'm, I'm so sorry to do this, but I, I'm from Leeds, and I just want you to know." I said, "I just, think, you know, you mean so much to that city. What you achieved with that team to get them promoted, to win the league with them, um, that midfield speed." Um, Batty, McAllister, Strachan. I said, I, I just want you to know, I, I think the world of you, and uh, you, you just always, you always mean so much to me, and you've always meant so much to me. And Strachan said, "Fuck up." No, he didn't. Go on, Strachan. <laughs> you know what, Strachan? He said, he said, he was like, "Wow." He says, "You have no idea how much I needed to hear that." Oh. Yeah, he said, he says, "The wow." He says that that means so much, and he t and um, oh. And so he was asking, he was, he's a huge comedy fan. So he was asking all about comedy and uh, he was telling me that he's been a Kevin Bridges fan since before Bridges was famous. He like really supported Kevin and Strachan, because Strachan's a really funny guy and Strachan says, uh, you know, he says, I don't, I don't mean to be big headed. He says, but as you can imagine, I do well on the after dinner circuit. You know, I, I, I you know, I'm, I'm, dare I say, I'm, I'm good at that. He says, the reason why I've got such respect for you guys, he says, I don't know how you do it. He said, I once did an after dinner speech at Wentworth. And he said, I died so badly at this. He says, I died as, 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 as hard as you can imagine dying. And he said, it was so bad. He says that to this day, I'll get invited to play golf at Wentworth. And he's, he says he gets like PTSD and he, he's, he's not stepped foot in Wentworth since. And he yeah. says, it's so bad that if he's walking down a, a street and somebody walks past him with like a little Wentworth polo shirt, it, it's all, it all comes back for him. And he's like, ah, but does, it, may, it just made me like him even more that he's got, he, he's even got the mindset of a comedian. Yeah. Question two, where do you sit in the ground and why? I, this might be the reason why I'm on the podcast. So for, for the best part of a decade, I would sit in the press box. And that was because I was a sports writer. And I, even at the time, I knew that that was rarefied air. And I always fully appreciated and was always very grateful <clears throat> that I got to sit in the press box. And I knew that was the sweetest gig in the world. Who, and are, I, the big, who are the big press press names? 
Henry Winter. Winter. Henry Winter Winter was always the one. When I used to work at a place called Sports.com, and I think we all secretly wished that we were Henry Winter. And I think I, you know, he's he's a just he's he's the doyen of football writers, isn't he? You know, it's you know, it's not two centre backs. It's it's the twin centuries. Oh, okay. Okay. Uh, Or or, or, you know, I remember Nicky Butt had a good game against Argentina, and uh, you know, Henry Winter wrote that it was the stuff of legend. You know things like that, and I, I love I love his turns of phrase. Is it Brian Woolno is he some? Is he? Yeah, Woolno's another hitter. Yeah. All those guys. <laughs> what are you love for that job? Just all these names. I don't know what's going on. Don't you? No, I don't, I've not heard of. Don't know Henry Winter. I, I've heard of Henry Winter, but I don't know this other. Winter, chapter. Winter, I would say is the number. He's the number one in my opinion. Yeah. Uh, Oliver, Oliver Holt. Holt. Oh, Oliver, mate! Oliver Holt. Did you see that? Yeah. Both I know at the same people time. People go, oh, David doesn't know his football. Oh, really? <laughs> Oliver Holt is a lovely guy, and I've met I've, I've met him a few times. You yeah. know who his mum is? Um, uh, no. Emily Bishop from Coronation Street. What, with the glasses? No, Emily. Emily Bishop was, was the second longest serving character behind Ken Barber. Emily Bishop? Yeah, because I know he was in it from episode one, but she, jo- she joined... Very near the start, and that anyway, Oliver Holt. So yeah, all 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 those dudes. John, yeah, I thought you'd be all over Winter and Holt. No, not very familiar. I should I should probably do my research after this. I'm absolutely. I'm a little bit disgusted. Oh, okay. <laughs> I generally thought you'd be like it's Winter Holt. Who are the other biggies? Curtis, Kurt, is it Kurt, Sean? Kurt, Kurt, oh, Sean Custis, Custis, and, and Neil Custis, Neil Custis. I've heard of Neil Custis. I don't know yeah, why. He's at Man United now, and he's he worked for Man United. There's a guy called George Colkner who covered, right. yeah, used to cover Newcastle. He's a lovely writer. I tell you what, there's, the writers for the Athletic are very good. Well, Dominic Fra- Laurie uh, Whitwell. Is it Laurie Whitwell? Well, there's, there's Dominic Fifield. Yes, <coughs> fellow Palace fan, lovely boy. He's at the Athletic. Um, the Athletic is incredible, so so good, really really good. Who's that? The, the Athletic is just in general really really. Good. Oh, the stories they break. Yeah. I mean, it's you know, it's yeah. phenomenal the way they break. James, why don't you start up a Crystal Palace fan site on YouTube? It'd absolutely blow up. I don't think it would. It bloody would. Well, well let's see how this episode goes. <laughs> okay, okay. Question three. Hang on a minute. I've, re- I've written. So- I want- oh, this was it. Yeah, I wanted to share this with you. So what? It- so, so in the press box. So the I would say that the, the at Crystal Palace because I was the Palace guy. I actually, ha- I actually pretty much had my own seat in the press box. Not 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 officially, but there was one that I would assume. And assume is obviously a big word. Now the thing with that gig and John, you, you will probably relate to this as well. Is that you would always pray every journalist who was covering a specific team, you would pray that the team would win, or I would anyway, because then you had more chance of, because you always needed to get interviews after the match. And the players are always more likely to chat after a win. Yeah. And so I would have to give a special mention to Joby McEnough and Mikel Leisurewood, who would always chat because they were good dudes. And even if they got spanked 4-0, those boys would chat with the local paper. Joey McInnes on on the telly now, isn't he? Quite a bit. Yeah, he is, and rightly so. Good looking boy, very likable. Hell of a really player knows, as well. Great player, really knows his football inside out. I think he's brilliant. 
but he has a very special place for me because he always spoke after matches. Sean Derry was another one. Um, and But the reason why I have even more respect for the radio guys than I do the written guys is because they're doing it live. And so, to you know, Hemingway's definition of courage is grace under pressure. And those guys, to be doing it on the hoof as it's happening. And so one thing I once saw, David, uh, Tom Watt... Who played Lofty in EastEnders? Yeah, Arsenal fan, is he? Big Arsenal fan. Yeah. And I was at sports.com, so this would have been early noughties, I think. And he's at Stamford Bridge, and I think it's Chelsea versus Spurs, right? So imagine, imagine, so he was Lofty in EastEnders, big Arsenal fan, but imagine him, an Arsenal fan, being told by BBC London, that's the game you covered. He must have been like, oh, for God's sake. Anyway, it goes live to Tom Watt. So he's there. Here we are at Stamford Bridge. It's Chelsea nil, Spurs nil, chances for both teams. And then about five yards from him, because the press box at Stamford Bridge, don't know if it still is, but was by the away fans. And <coughs> while he's live on air. Hey! 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 Lofty! Lofty! You gooning cunt! <laughs> wow. Live on the radio. Live. <laughs> That's my biggest night. That's my biggest fear is like being in a press box where you're close to the fans, and then live on the radio. Could, could they, if you're commentating, John, with Exeter, would they know you? Would they ever go at you? Like no, that? but you just you don't you never know if they see if they see like BBC Radio Devon or whatever. There's there's definitely because like <clears throat> if you're away, you're sat in the home end. You know, yeah. you could, the abuse is like really easy to get. Yeah, the cl- the closest I've ever got to getting chin <clears throat> was Sunderland away, two thousand and four playoff semi final. We, we won on. I know we shouldn't say we, but I'm, you know, as I say, I'm in it now. We won on penalties, and it was as tense as it gets. And I was properly cheering in the press box, and that that, and I was I was right. You know, it was really unprofessional to do that, but that that got that was probably a couple of steps away from, you know, yeah. a bit of our argy bargy, yeah. and then um, we won in the playoff final. And then I was allowed to go to the, the party with the players at the hotel. And Ian Dowie told me a story about being a bit of argy-bargy in the tunnel at half-time, where uh, West Ham backroom staff, Palace backroom staff nearly came to blows. And a member of the Palace backroom staff grabbed a member of the West Ham backroom staff around the throat and went, yeah? Something like, yeah, if you want some more, then you're next. Something like that. But because Ian Dowie's a very passionate guy, what he didn't, re- and to this day still doesn't realise what he'd done was he'd acted out the story. And so he, I, I was like, <laughs> my, my feet were like nearly off the floor with his giant hand wrap. And so I'm like, that's, that's an excellent story, Ian. <laughs> I'd love to get Ian on. Be great. Oh, he's great. Wonderful. Match day routine. Well, as, to be honest with you, as, as a journalist, it, it was nothing special. I just had to, you know, make sure my bag was packed, had my dictaphone in my rucksack, and 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 pencils, I'd had... pencils, notebooks. Yeah, but they, they were they were just always in my rucksack anyway. You know. Yeah, what do you have in your rucksacks? What I'm interested. Rubbers. It, it would it would always just be biros, notepads, rubber johnnies. Absolutely not, and then dictaphone. <laughs> I love I love saying rubber johnnies. Rubber johnnies. <laughs> no, never any rubber johnnies. No. Why? 
You should do. I would say that because I think people think I've heard Henry Windsor say this. People think that like football journalism is super glamorous, but the reality is you're often standing in a car park hoping that somebody will talk to you for thirty seconds. Are you saying it's not glamorous, John? It's not. <clears throat> no. Not. Not. Well, I think James probably had a, a little bit more glamorous, you know, championship lifestyle. But yeah, it's definitely the, the lower down you go, it does descend off the edge of a cliff pretty quickly. That, the, the, the London paper gig. That that was that I, I will admit that was glamorous, but the, the the but yeah, John's John's right. Generally speaking, it's uh, it's a lot of waiting, isn't it, John? Mm-hmm. You always you, like I I always say you just always waiting for somebody else to be ready for you to be ready. So true. Do you know what I said to Naomi yesterday? I said, look, if if the comedy career, whatever whatever career it is, um, falls by the wayside, I'm going to ring up Exeter City and say, please, can I work for you? <laughs> In the offices. Why are you laughing? <laughs> I'm not laughing. I think you could do it. Do what? Whatever you want. Run it. Run the not run. Not run it. Let's be serious. What job could I get? Well, I've, I've got something for you in question eleven, actually. Oh, okay. Tea lady. I would ask to be working for the groundsman. You'd actually you'd suit that so well. Get your get your dungarees on. Get out there. Good idea. Yeah, as long as he was sort of gentle with me and sort of explained the two-stroke oil mix. Also, John, when you got that gig, you think that you are the centre of centre of the club, right? But then I remember end of the 0304 season, results went our way. We end up getting in the playoffs, and Ian, I was in the press box. I think we we're away at Coventry, and Dowie looks up at me and gestures if say what were the other results and so I'm in the press box I'm thinking you had a fucking great relationship I'm you. thinking this is quite special that Ian is asking me what the so I'm I can't, let's say West Ham drew I can't remember what it was but I go West Ham drew 2-2 two, two, like doing thumbs up and I'm looking at the other journalists if say check this out and then what I see about 10 rows ahead of me is Debbie Dowie Ian's wife he wasn't fucking talking to me I was so deluded. He was talking oh. to his. Of course, he wasn't. Of course, he wasn't talking to some total fucking pilcher who writes the local paper. Of course, he was t- asking his wife. Oh my god! And I, I had to like that. sit back down and like, oh, I'm just going to pretend to write something. You know. Oh no. That's that's the work. That's actually one of oh, the things I've heard. Yeah, that's beautiful. I can imagine me doing that on a Saturday. Yeah, Man, I can actually. Ma, hey. Yeah, no, you. Look him right him. past, get out the you way. <laughs> okay. Right, question four. Uh, I guess this is when you're doing the press. So, who did you. All these questions are related to that. Where, who did you go to the games with? So, I would. So, when I was covering Palace, uh, there's an old uni mate of mine called Steve Jens. He's got one of those names where you have to say his full name. And so, I would. He should have been a footballer. He was, he, you know what, he should, he was, a, he was a, an astonishingly good centre-forward. What was his name? Gems? J-E-N-N-S. That's he such was a good footballer's name. Great Steve footballer Jones. name. He was so good. He was, like, he was whip it thin. Where would he play? Where would Steve Jens play? Striker. Really? I'd have one him t- right mid. One-touch finisher. Um, like, so good. He used to, you know, when you grow up, you think you've got to blast it into the goal. And he would just, he would just like steer it beyond the keeper yeah. it was just an edu- it was an education so I would meet up with him and his family and his mates and we're still on a Palace WhatsApp group to this day and uh, what would invariably happen we go to a place called the Cherry Trees Pub in South Norwood 
And I would say to Steve Jens, I'd say, Steve, off, you know, been mates since we were late teens. And I'd go, Jensie, don't tell anyone this, you know, about off the record. I've, I've heard that Ben Watson is about to put, to put pen to paper on that new contract. But you, you don't tell anyone that. Gil, Gil House, you have my word, will not tell a soul. And then like half an hour later, some random had tapped me on the shoulder. Hey, good news about Watson signing that contract. <laughs> Don't say this, James, because I try and get. Yeah, that's why you won't get anything from me. I would never, ever say anything. You've got a problem with Twitter. That's the new. I beg your pardon. You would, you would, as soon as you did. No, I would. If you no, because you wouldn't Twitter post. You wouldn't release the information. You just put out a tweet along the lines of, "I know, I know something. None of you do." Ha ha ha. (laughs) No, I wouldn't. Yeah, you would. No, I would. I'd probably write a song called that. Yeah, I'm with John on this. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, oh, but then, but then these days, because I get, because I, I, I'm very lucky that the the the, the Browett family have invited me a couple of times. So I t- we were invited. My wife and I. She's never been not a football fan, not remotely interested. You know, if I've got it on, while well, you know while we're doing other stuff, she's not watching. But we got invited to Palace versus Leeds. This is her first ever experience of football. I think it was two all. It was like a really good match. We were sat in the director's box. At half time, a club official comes over and says, um, just to inform you that you've both been invited for a drink in the chairman's boardroom after the match, right? So the game finishes. Emily, you know, Emily, quite a glamorous woman. She's in the boardroom. She's, you know, there's ex-players. There's, le- there's there are legends. There are, there's yeah. owners. There's all this. So she's, she's, she's experiencing all this. First time I've ever been at a football match. As we're leaving the ground, Johnny Williams, who at the time will always be a beloved figure, but at the time, beloved midfielder, we walk past Johnny and I say to Johnny Williams, sorry to bother you, wife's first ever football match, he's a real charming guy, would it be possible for a picture? Johnny Williams to my wife, hope you've enjoyed your first experience of, of Crystal Palace, of course we can have a picture. It's the, Their picture together is nicer than any of our wedding photos, right? Perfect. We sit on the train, we go home, and Emily says to me, you know what, we should go see Palace more often. And I had to break it to her that what she has just experienced, yeah. she will never... Really, what she should have watched was a nil-nil, and it was raining, and it was dreadful. Instead, she got an unrealistic flavour of what football is. And we all yeah. know, something that doesn't get talked about enough, because it's not in the media's interest, most football matches are, part of my language, total dog shit. <laughs> and yet we we will watch ten games of total. I'm learning that. I'm learning are, that. But we keep going back, mate. If comedy nights had the same strike rate as football matches, there'd be no comedy circuit. I am learning that. The pressure on every comedy night to be ten out of ten perfection. Football gets away with being total and utter. How many times? How many? How many times have we fallen for it? Sky Sports News. Oh, it's the big one. Liverpool versus Manchester yeah, United. Yeah. And I and I've even, I'm 44, still fall for it. Yeah, they're right. It will be a classic, and it's nil-nil, and it's the worst yeah. game we've ever seen. Yeah. You know, so there's been most, some dog shit this year. Yeah. Most games are toilet. I don't really I don't really enjoy watching the Premier League, the top flight at all. It's awful. It's so so bad. I've got no interest. The only way I'd ever watch the Premier League properly is in Exeter City. Well, in Exeter City, you know, sorry. That's the spirit. Yeah, but it's been dog shit in League One as well. 
No, but it's no. I'd rather watch League One football every oh, day. Oh, I league. would. I would. Well, would I? I don't know. I'm not really well, experienced. I'd, I'd like Championship football as well. You know. I mean, Palace are all right now, but when that first season we got promoted, that uh, of, uh, sorry of that time, that oh four oh five. That 0405 season, all we were doing was going to matches, just praying that they didn't get hammered. I remember oh. uh, Chelsea, Chelsea at home, we cleared it for a throw-in, and the fans cheered, and not like non-ironically, like, but, but that sort of, you know, this sort of cheer, yes, like you know, because it meant the anxiety lifted for a few seconds, you know, things like that. Favorite away ground. Right, ultimately it's Villa Park. I think it's beautiful. Oh, really? It's a, yeah, it's a warm throwback to oh. what football used to be. It's got actual character. When you first uh, walk out and see the pitch, I think that's really special. I, so I have a lot of love for, for Villa Park. Andy, I went to go see Andy Johnson make his England debut at Villa Park under Sven, I think, while I was covering Palace. That was very special. He let me under the velvet rope afterwards so that I could see him and we had a chat you know so very special memories but then also special shout to Millmore Rotherham's old ground and I loved that and the, pre the press Rotherham's, conference Rotherham's old ground yeah these play at Millmore they're now at the at something like the ACL New York Stadium or something like that right um, but the press conference would take place in what was like an old working man's club it was like a little snug lounge bar uh, so I, and I I loved that. That was oh, wonderful. Wow. Yeah. I'm looking at it now. God, it looks run down. Oh, it is. Yeah, it's derelict there. So it is. Millmore's now derelict. That's a shame. But it had real character. And Palace, I think we won two 0 during that promotion season. Wow. And it was the it was the sort of match. It was a midweek game, sort of game that you grind out on your way to promotion. It was. Uh, Listen yeah. to this. The old railway end. Booth scrapyard is right behind. You can see it behind the stand. Amazing. It's right behind the Derek Dalton clock has its old dedication restored in memory of Derek Dalton. There's a scrapyard behind the stand. It looks <coughs> horrible. Perfect. Wow. Yeah, absolutely perfect. Right. Question. Oh, also, that get that get that job. We would get back home at like th I think we got like, back at like three or four in the morning from Rotherham, and then you're up at like six or whatever to get into the office for the next this day. This guy, this guy. He went all the way to Gillingham, didn't you, John? Yeah, on a Tuesday night. I got back about, what was it, quarter to four? Yeah, yeah. belly buys at four. Up and then six. up at six to do, uh, to start labouring again the next day. Yeah, there you go. Question six. We've got 17 minutes left. Question six. Least favourite ground. So it's, it's Portsmouth, it's Fratton Park. Is it? Yeah, but in the very same breath, it's my least favourite because it was so wonderfully... It was intimidating. Oh, I love it. Was, it. It's, it's the only time I've been Why at the stadium. Why I, I absolutely love it. It's one of those stadiums you go to. I don't think I've ever been to Portsmouth and gone, oh, this is a bit dull. The atmosphere is in amazing. So it good. is amazing. Really? Yeah, you and it's shit not, your pants. It's not like massive. You, you know, like it's, it's, it's pretty big, but it's not like, you know, you're 60,000 seaters. What is it? 12,000 capacity, but the noise is incredible. It's the, it's one of the only grounds where the roar I've heard from a goal, I've gone, shit. 100%. Even in the, even in the, the safety of the press box, a part of me has been like, yikes. 
And yeah. I think, well, and I think play, we're playing them this year, aren't we? They're yeah. In our league. But I think actually Portsmouth away is not too far away. In my, I think they're absolutely brilliant home fans because they make it really difficult. That that is what it's all about, really. You know, away away games are supposed to be hard. That's the whole point of it. And I think Portsmouth do a fantastic job. Those fans uh, make it really hard. And it's, it was when Tony Popovich, you can see it on YouTube, scored that infamous back heel volley own goal. And the noise that the Portsmouth fans made was, again, uh, terrifying. But, you know, but it, it, I'm saying that in a way where I absolutely applauded them for it. I, you know, we, uh, yeah. we got our backsides handed to us that day. Well, we've got them on the 21st of January next year. I tell you what, I might, I might just go. It's not very far from you. It's like one of the closer-ish ones. What Portsmouth? Well, in, it's closer than Morgan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fair enough. Question seven: If you could travel back in time, James, which game would you watch? It's the Championship semi-final. We're away at Sunderland. We win on penalties. We've won the first leg three-two at Sellers Park. Mick McCarthy quite rightly suggested mm, might not be enough, and we're sorry. You won, what was the first leg? Three-two. We win three-two at Sellers Park. Right. Championship playoff. I remember at the time being really excited at winning three-two. With hindsight, what were we thinking? And then we're losing two-nil. And then in injury time, Sean Derry corner comes in. Darren Powell, centre back, nods it in. And as Ian Dowie said after the match days after when you watch the video of his celebration Darren Powell in the best way possible has lost the plot the, the, the joy is just coursing through his veins and he dives into the he dives into the away stand he's gone nuts and then what he's done is he's knocked a fan over in their wheelchair and Ian Dowie said obviously not no because it was just chaos and then Ian Dowie said to me he says do me a favour can you do a shout out in the newspaper because we we all feel terrible that this lad's got knocked out of his of his wheelchair, and so we did a piece in the paper, and then my phone rang a few days later. The lad had seen the piece, and I get always get emotional when I remember this. And he was he loved Palace so much <laughs> that he was worried that Palace being upset about him being knocked out of his wheelchair would impact their mood ahead of the playoffs. Oh no! He was the sweetest dude ever. And he says, he says, please pass on to Ian and Darren. Please don't worry. I'm absolutely fine. It was amazing. And I just don't want them to worry as we as we go into the playoffs. And then they got the lad. Uh, they got him um, a shirt, I think, and pictures taken in the dugout uh, in a preseason friendly after we got promoted. And, he, and we, with Darren Powell, pitch taken with Darren Powell. Mm. Perfect. And that's where the local newspaper does a good job. Yeah. Beautiful. Uh, the most, rem- just the most remarkable match because we, we're down and out, and then to win on penalties, Michael Hughes scores the winner. Just magical. Uh, question eight: Who's the best player you've seen in the flesh? Right. So I've seen. I've gone oh, through. I'm some looking the- forward to this because you've I've, seen some good ones. I've gone through the people I've seen. Right. I've gone through the old. Uh, search the fixtures for who I've seen. Iniesta. Top five. <clears throat> Iniesta, Seedorf, Messi, Ronaldo, Cristiano Ronaldo, Xavi, Maldini, Cannavaro, Nesta, and the player I am going with is Michael Hughes. Now, that might sound 
preposterous, but bear in mind that I watched <coughs> Hughesy week in, week out. What happened was Michael Hughes hadn't played football for a I year. I was so disappointed. Mm-hmm. Let me explain. <laughs> Michael Hughes hadn't played football for a year because of some sort of contract issue with Wimbledon and Birmingham, I think, something like that. So he'd not been allowed to play. So Palace end up with a player who is, and I, you all know I love Palace, with a player who's too good for a struggling club in the championship. And his class was so apparent from the first was it match. Really? Really? Oh, I mate. love that. I love he was so, that. And I've never seen a player so committed. And he, he played every match as if it was the last match he was ever going to play. And whenever I think of Michael Hughes, I think of him winning a slide tackle. He was one of those. Yeah. I think I think I remember him getting sent off and the crowd chanting, Hughes it, Hughes it. And him like doing that to the crowd as if to say, fuck oh, it. Because that. they know that he'd given yeah. everything. And I'll tell you a story about Michael Hughes that is a measure of the man. Ian Dowie get before the playoff final, and I've heard this story from too many people for it to not be true, and I've had it verified from other people. Anyway, Ian Dowie gave a speech. Ian Dowie's told me this story himself, so it's fine. Ian Dowie gave a speech, playoff final. He says, right, then it all comes down to this. He says, the person I want you to play for today. Oh, God. Here we go. Come on is the person who bought you that first pair of football boots. When you got home from school, oh God, the person that took you down to the park and made you the player who you are today. And that's who you're playing for. Your mom, your mom, your dad, it might be your grand, it might be your granddad, whoever it was that took you down the park. they, They worked and they saved up enough money to pay for that first pair of boots. And they took you down the park and they kicked the ball around. He says, for me, it's my dad. He says, my dad, he's, he's, he's passed away. But I'll tell you what, when that referee blows that whistle to kick off, I'll turn around, I'll look in the stands. Oh, my God. And I will know that he's watching. He says, yeah. you won't be able to see him because he's not your dad, he's my dad. But I'm going to turn around. And this match today, for me, it's for my dad. And I want you to ask yourselves, who are you playing for? Because I know that my dad will be watching, right? Players in the dressing room, are, 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 they're so fired up that some of them are actually they're crying. Because they're absolutely, he's got, he's, he's done his job. He's got them in the zone, right? And the big question that Ian had asked was, was, would his, would his dad be watching, right? Anyway, Palace win the match. Michael Hughes, his old Northern Ireland teammate. Everyone's celebrating, delirious. Hughesy jogs over to Dowie, put, oh my God, puts his arm around Ian Dowie and whispers, was he watching? I mean, fucking hell. Question nine. Worst experience you've ever had, James, at a game? Palace relegated, end of the Premier League season, 2005, away at Charlton. Dougie Freeman had earlier scored a wonder goal. And I said to him, I've said to him since, I went, you knew that was in as soon as it touched your boot, didn't you? And he went, yep, absolutely. But then we concede late on and we don't quite clear it and Charlton score. Then we get relegated. What does that feel like, James? It's awful. It's really deflating because you've 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 been through the relatively tough times in the championship. You've had this glamour year in the Premier League, and then you know from a professional capacity, not only are you back to the championship, but the club are going to be there's going to be a, a sorrow around the place, which there was. Um and it's it was just a little bit sad. Then I left a few months after that. I, to be honest with you, I'd only stuck around because Ian Dowie was just so damn interesting 
and I couldn't you couldn't leave Wilder in the Premier League. Um, so John, I have from... you experienced a relegation with Exeter? Uh, yeah, from League One to League Two, but I was, I was pretty young. We've been, we were in League Two for ten years until. Uh, the... Listen, listen, we're in League One now, and this is all new to me. I cannot imagine what it. I think I said in the last episode, but us having to fight in a relegation battle. Oh my! It's God. awful, mate. It's, it's the worst awful. kind of pressure. Yeah, but it affects your sleep. Mm. Genuinely, Saturdays are going to get terribly fruity. Yeah. Also, just the proper answer that I think you wanted was it's probably Iniesta because he scored that wonder goal. Yeah, I was going to say out of that list, I probably would have said Iniesta. And, and you know, and I've seen I've, I've seen Messi, I've seen I've seen both Ronaldo's, but but Iniesta in, in that match was were, I mean, I, again, Messi and Ronaldo are always talked about as the two greatest, and then Pele comes into it and Cruyff and Maradona. But for me, you've got to have Iniesta in that conversation. Really? Okay. Absolutely. Look at the career on the guy, you know. Question 10. What interesting facts have you got about Crystal Palace? Or Leeds? So relatively recently, Crystal... Well, Crystal the, the big one really is Crystal Palace relatively recently have now claimed to be the oldest club in the world ever but it's a it's a claim that some palace fans are even going are we absolutely sure about this guy <laughs> which which says a lot about and i say this as a compliment to palace fans that even because i think i think if some clubs made that claim the fans would be like yeah damn right we are but palace fans are they've been through a lot with administrations and you know club nearly folding and so there's always caution. It's always caution. So even the Palace fans have gone. Can we? Can we really verify this? Oldest so, football um, club in the world. Well, I've just found. I found a little bit, uh, David, on the website. And John, Crystal Palace are staking. Here we go. Crystal Palace are staking a claim to be recognised as the world's oldest league club in existence, still playing professional football. After new research found a direct connection to the team established in 1861 who were founder members of the Football Association. According to the FA, non-league Sheffield FC, founded on October 24th, yep. 1857, is the world's oldest club, and Notts County, founded yep. in November 19, uh, 1862, is the oldest league club. However, research by author Peter Manning has established that Crystal Palace, commonly believed even by its own supporters to have been founded... See what I mean about the fans? By its own supporters to have been founded in 1905, and claim a link back to the Crystal Palace football team established in 1861, which played its first match in March 1862. So I'm giving you that. I'm giving you that as what yeah. is an interesting fact with the caveat might be bollocks. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. But, but but I know from people I know at the club, they really... Yeah, they believe it. They really believe this. Final question, James. I think this might be good. What one bit of advice would you give me as a new fan of a lower league football team? So, David, I think you should reach out to Exeter City. Maybe maybe take John with you. And I think you should sit down with people who work at the club and ask what you can do to help. And I think what you should do is maybe... 
do an extra episode per week, if that is a possible thing, and you take on Exeter and you maybe cover the club more directly. So you're from what they're getting out of it from you is you're promoting the club more. So maybe you sit down and chat with the captain, the manager. I'm doing it. I'm doing it. Perfect. Well, in that so case, I've spoken to the manager, spoken to the captain. We've got we had the media officer on this week. We, we've got the tea lady on. Right, you do it. This is it. Perfect. So I think from now on, my friend. Don't know. I said that we haven't confirmed that at all. You should sit in the do what I did. Sit in the press box, and that journey, uh, like uh, John is going on, on a similar journey, you'll see a different side to the club. Sit in the press box, you say? Do they not have a press box? Oh, they do, but I haven't been invited. Oh, oh boy, that would be great. Actually, that'd be such a good. That'd be such a good little day. I think you can. I, be can blown I read away. something? Did you see this, John? Uh, probably not. This this was a lovely moment. Bear with. Bear with. Just an iTunes review. Okay. My new football club. Oh, maybe I did. If it was, did you tweet it yesterday? Yeah, fantastic five stars. I'm a Plymouth Argyle fan, and I love this podcast. Amazing. There you go. I'm doing quite a lot for this club, and I don't think I'm getting rewarded. Hold on a minute. You go into the Heritage Lounge, aren't you? What do you do? You, do you want to be rewarded with this? Do you want to play? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> this has yeah, been such a lovely experience what a shame to end on acrimony <laughs> I'd fucking love to be 25 and just for Matt to go I'll tell you what kid you're not brilliant but you could plug a gap you know what you could do David Four choice left back you know what you could do <laughs> Oliver Holt once did this Neil Warnock let him sit on the bench uh, let him sit in the dugout for a match Oh my God! No. Why did you do that? Do you that get, as an episode. You're getting that. Not at home. There's no. Why room. aren't I? There's Why? no room. There's Mate, no if room. Oliver Holt can sit in the dugout, his room, they Matt, can stand up. Matt doesn't even have a seat. Matt doesn't want a seat. No. But he's, Why haven't I been offered a little bit on the bench? Hold on a minute. What is going on here? <laughs> I don't hold on a minute, me. You can't sit on the dugout. Well, if a Holt did. Yeah, but this was I think 20 years ago. Was it? But it wasn't 20 years. Really. Okay, well, some time ago. It's a lot stricter now. <laughs> I think that, that makes a great episode of the podcast. James, do you know, we, we've got someone's made fucking great banner of the podcast, and it's on a, it's at the stadium during match days. I can believe it. Incredible. It's great. I can believe it. Next step, the bench. Yeah, on that bench for a special bonus episode. Uh, right, okay. I know, it's never going to happen if it does. I appreciate it. Why not? Thanks for letting me do it. Yeah, why not? But, but but anyway, I think you should. I think you should now make this a more. You know, like Fordy. Fordy's got his reservoir. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I, I am. I'm going into the club. I'm going Go into, into the, the club. Yeah, the heart. And of you will have what I've got. I've got this relationship with the club where I've got a Palace mural on my wall. I've got a signed photo of Steve Coppel on my wall. I've got signed Dougie Friedman shirt. You know, and the club. The club means so much to me. There's a group. There's a group of fans over to the right hand side of the big bank called the Top Soft Lads. Yeah, they never wear tops. I, yeah, I can't remember what they're like midwinter. Yeah, but definitely in the drizzle, they're they're still. A&E. I look at them and go, where would this 
where would these fans be without that little gang there leaning over the hoardings going, yeah, fucking wankers. They're coming on the pod, the Top Soft gang. Amazing. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. Yeah. That's going to be a spicy app. It is. Yeah. <laughs> but are they going to share a heartfelt story where... No. Well, where, Michael Hughes, where Michael Hughes makes me cry four times while I'm telling it. They might do. They might do. You know what? I'm wrong to judge. They might do. Sorry, uh, we've got about a minute left. That What you just said about sitting on the bench, I just want to imagine... I might end this might end this pod imagining what that is like. And then David, David, imagine mid-match. What? Jonesy's pulled his calf? <laughs> I don't believe... David, go on, stick that number 10 jersey off. No, 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 no. Have you heard that Harry Redknapp story where the West Ham, it was a pre-season friendly and a West Ham fan was giving the team like horrific abuse? Have you heard this? Yeah, and no. he gave him some boots, didn't he? And, and then he didn't. And he got he on. got him a game and he scored. Yeah. <laughs> Harry Redknapp goes. Harry Redknapp goes. Yeah. You think you could do any better? And this guy goes, Yeah, I do actually. And Redknapp goes, Yeah, fine. Get here now. Go on, put that on. On you go. And he and he scores. And Redknapp's like, Oh. <laughs> oh. James, thank you so much for thank coming you, on. James. Meant the world. Thank you very much. Oh, I really enjoyed Listen, if you want to come on again. Yeah, please do. I would love to. Thank you very much. Yeah, it would be great. I'm now panicking about which stories I'd tell. I mean, that. I'll be honest with you guys, that was my definitely maybe. I gave absolutely everything. Yeah. <laughs> I've, never, I've, never, I've never tried so hard in my life. Fucking hell, it's second album. Shit. No, <laughs> but... No, but um, like I want a revolving door of sort of people coming back on. Like Alex said, he'll come on and blah, blah, blah. Just me and John do an episode on a Monday where we look back at the Saturday. Just coming on, bit of chat about the Saturday's game. Amazing. Yeah, you haven't got to come on with any big anecdotes. If you do, great. Me having to make them up. Uh, and then uh, Malcolm Allison uh, <laughs> cried. Um... <laughs> Oh, thanks so much, James. Uh, Look, I'll say this to both of you. John, uh, I I really predict big things from you. I think the broadcasting thing is a really good idea. I think there's such a gap in that. I think we're crying out for quality commentators. I really... Why are there not more better commentators out there? Maybe we were spoiled when we were were younger with Brian Moore and and Motti and Barry Davis and Sinstad, etc. There's not enough now. So, John, you should absolutely go for that. And then David... I think this is the start of a beautiful... I know you've been doing it for a while, but uh, this is the start of a beautiful friendship with Exeter. I think this is a great thing that you're doing. They fall in love with me. and um, um, Vice versa. <laughs> and vice versa. Yeah. Well, some you. of them have. Some but of you're them doing it from a place of love. Forms. Sorry? You're doing it from a place of love. It's not like that... This is not work. TV, I'm, lo- I'm absolutely loving it. I'm yeah. loving it. I'm looking forward to Saturdays. I'm looking forward to doing these. I'm loving getting to know the little characters around the club, the players. 